Living, best selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. So every so often I have a guest on the podcast whose story truly blows me away and really who embodies like why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. And of course, like when we called it Give Me Strength, we know that strength is such an expansive term with so many different meanings. But my guest today, Freya Lewis, embodies the kind of strength that I am in awe of. As a surviving victim of the Manchester Arena attack, which devastatingly took the life of her best friend Nell, Freya has worked tirelessly to honor her and to raise money for the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital, where she was treated after the bomb. Suffering 29 injuries, she spent six weeks in hospital, had almost 20 surgeries and spent three months in a wheelchair. In 2020, Freya released a book called What Makes Us Stronger that describes her journey throughout May 2017 and how her life and outlook changed overnight. Freya, welcome to Give Me Strength. I feel like we have strength in common. Like you, your book was called What Makes You Stronger. And really, I'm just so excited to hear about it and really to, I guess, in a very delicate way, talk through your story. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's an honor and I've not um, I've not done a podcast in a while. <laughs> and especially um, talking about this, it's, um, it's nice, especially around Christmas time. Nice to remember what I've been through. Definitely. And also like, I just want to say at the start, like I'm conscious that we're obviously talking about a subject that's quite sensitive and I just want to make sure that you feel comfortable throughout, you know, that's really important to me. And if there's anything that you'd rather not speak about, please do just feel that you can say, because I know that sometimes with, you know, with issues that are a little bit more painful just to discuss, it can just be hard. So always at any point, if you want to just say, you're more than welcome to. Thank you. So, you know, like, when I was thinking about this interview, obviously, in my mind, the Manchester Arena bombing is absolutely one of those moments that's kind of etched in my memory. You know, one of those moments where you remember exactly where you were when it happened. I guess in as many words as you're comfortable to, can you tell me what you remember from that day? Yeah, it was meant to be and it did start off a very exciting day. It was the first concert that I went to without my parents, which is very exciting and grown up because I was 14 and I got to take a friend for the first time. I got the presents the Christmas in 2016 by my parents um, and I knew straight away that I had to take uh, my best friend now because she was the biggest fan ever and concerts have always been a giant thing in my family. Um, my first concert, I think I was five or six. Now I went to a Miley Cyrus concert fresh out of Hannah Montana it was a great first concert and ever since then as many times as we can like my parents favorite thing is to give me and my sister concert tickets so it was meant to be like any other really but just a bit more special because I got to take Nell it was her first concert so it felt like an honor to be able to kind of show her the ropes because I felt like I you know was the queen of concerts at the time so yeah we had a normal day at at school, I was in year nine. She came with me after school. We got ready. We were driven there by my dad and he sent us off. And we, the actual concert and the night is something that I'm so glad I remember because it was great. And that time that I had with Nell is something that I'll never take for granted because she was the, I always say it, but she, she was the happiest that I'd ever seen her screaming awfully at the top of her lungs. I mean, so was I, but it was uh, 
a couple of hours that I'll never forget. And then when we were leaving the concert early, that's obviously when everything went wrong. Um, and it is obviously, um, it is quite painful memories. And unfortunately, um, I do remember the entire thing, which isn't great. Um, a lot of chaos, a lot of blood, a lot of pain. Um, but thankfully, I had my life saved by the kindest and most wonderful strangers, Kim and Phil. They took me in their arms when no one else would help me. And I didn't know what was going on. And they kept me alive, basically, um, for about an hour and a half until I had medical attention. And my dad, bless him, found me. And we just kind of all got through it together but um yeah obviously it's a it's a horrible night but I think it will always show to me like the kindness of strangers because Kim and Phil are still in my life now to this day and they were two random strangers picking up their daughters from a concert um and in the the night that changed everything for me they um they luckily saved my life. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that is amazing about the kindness of strangers, you know, like I think that you're absolutely right. I think we all have within us maybe this hope that in a crisis, we would be those people that come forwards, but it's the people that genuinely and selflessly do that, that you just think, my goodness, like they are angels that walk amongst us. And I, and I'm really, um, obviously like as, as I'm sure you are grateful to them that they were able to to pick you up and to save you at a time where you must have just felt so confused about what was going on you know at the time you didn't really have any idea what had actually happened and the gravity of the situation so that's just you know to have that sense of kind of safety and and support at a time like that is amazing you talked about your friend Nell and um, she, first of all she sounds amazing she sounds like I would be at a concert I, that would be me I'd be I'd, I'd have lost my voice after the first hour <laughs> So I really, um, I love that. And I think all of us, if we think about our closest friends and losing one of them, you know, that is such a specific type of grief and, you know, losing someone so instantly and so suddenly must have been really challenging for you to navigate and and also navigating that alongside your own trauma and serious injuries. In those kind of first few days after the attack, what was it that brought you safety and comfort? Obviously, you mentioned that first in, in the first instance, there were those two people that really helped you. But kind of in those first few days where you're starting to, I guess, just slowly process the, the grief and the trauma, how did you find yourself working through those days? What was it that kind of supported you, kept you going? Well, my family always are the answer to everything to me. And they, I, I don't think anyone can ever put into words how incredible they were and just the staff at um, Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. Obviously, they they put me back together again, but I had 29 separate injuries and was in and out of surgery every single day when I was in hospital, and they did more than their jobs. And I became so close with nurses and surgeons, and they looked after my family, which was a priority for me. I think even in this state I was in, I never I feel guilty about things very easily. So knowing that my parents and my sister were going through something of watching me in that awful state was horrendous and the support that the hospital gave them. They were just there and they became friends instantly. They did a lot more than their job, but without my mom, dad and sister with me by my side every single day, I don't know what would have happened because they kept my spirits up. They kept me laughing. They gave me great reminders of the memories of Nell and they always 
kept me positive and never let me look back in hate or just they were just incredible and um, obviously there were a lot of bad days but they made me feel kind of human again and told me that that was normal and yeah they were just they were just amazing and they still are I am so happy that you had them and they sound amazing and and you're right like and I one of the things I just picked up on from your answer there was really you know you use the word kind of not looking back in hate and not looking back in anger and I just want to kind of dig into that a little bit because I think that when anything bad happens to us part of us and as a natural human reaction right some of us can go why me you know and be so angry and resentful at the fact that like it happened to you and you know why can it have been someone else and just digging into that feeling of kind of hate and anger from the sounds of things your parents helped you navigate those feelings quite well but I want to understand kind of how you did really help yourself overcome those feelings because it would be easy to slip into right feeling those things feeling so much anger and resentment and hate so how did they help you to kind of channel that I guess into a more positive outlook being a 14 year old anyway that didn't really understand still don't that much about the world I think it was it was confusing and it, it was for a while and still is. My brain can wrap around the idea of somebody doing that and ca- causing all of that pain and taking away innocent lives. I, it didn't seem real. Of I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine somebody having that sort of mindset. So it was hard. And I mean, there still have been days where I think, you know, why me? And I'm in that self-pity thing of what did I do to deserve that? But they they just kept reminding me how lucky I was to still be here and to have met all the people that I've met along the way and to be where I am now. I wouldn't be living the sort of life I am doing now if it wasn't for what had happened, which is a very strange way of thinking about it um, because I think people don't understand how I can look at things in a positive light after something like that has happened. And obviously that's not my thoughts 24-7 every day. My best friend was taken away from me. Um, My body changed, just everything was different it was just their mindsets they, they literally said the words to me just you know literally like the oasis song don't look back in anger is what they kept saying to me um because i just needed to be grateful that i was still here and still alive yeah i can imagine that i think that um you know like we've had a, qu- a couple of people on this podcast who've gone through different i say similar situations I, one of the main person that i want to reference is martine wright who was in the london 77 bombings and she was a, one of our first guests that we ever had in the podcast actually and you know speaking about her experience and again like you know similar kind of journeys of having amazing support but also then ha- at the same time having to deal with really difficult emotions and really you know stuff that you just never thought that you would experience and i think particularly as you were at such a young age just finding that so hard to navigate and the confusion of it all um I just yeah I really empathize and I really sympathize with the fact that that must have just been so confusing I think that one of the things that just you just mentioned there about kind of your body change is quite interesting to me I I know that like you know you were probably already going through a stage of your life where your body was changing a little bit and you were coming to terms with those changes as most women do as we grow older. But, um, you know, having to go through that many surgeries, have that much kind of physical trauma. How did you find like kind of that that healing journey and that healing relationship with your body to get to a place where you now, I guess, feel more comfortable in, in who you are? What was that like? It was terrifying and strange. Like you said, I was al- already the most insecure 14 year old that you could get um and having my entire body completely be changed overnight was 
oh, it was so scary. Um, I felt like I didn't have control of my own body until I stopped having surgeries, which was in 2019. It was felt like my body was constantly being like put together and bones healing and like wounds being sewn up. It, it didn't feel, I didn't feel like myself. And I think it's taken, it's probably taken up until now to feel a bit more comfortable in my body. And that's six and a half years later. Um, it, it is scary. And especially being self-conscious of the way, you know, my skin was or how my body looked, I suddenly had gathered numerous scars from head to toe. And that has been and still is the hardest thing to deal with. I was very into like makeup before before the attack anyway, but ever since then I didn't and I still can't really leave the house without makeup on my facial scars, which is a very limiting thing and it still it angers me and was horrible and I had to go on holiday and make sure that I was wearing the right lengths like sleeves and trousers to be able to cover all my scars. Luckily, my body scars are something that I think less about now and I'm more confident with them. But um, the facial ones is where it is really tricky. But I think it's, again, just coming back to the idea of being grateful that I do still have a body to walk around in every day. And, you know, they did manage to put me together in a completely normal way and everything just about still functions the exact same. So I feel very lucky for that. And that was the only way I sort of looked at it. But um, I think it's a, it's a biased view of my mom anyway, but you know how mothers are just like, you're beautiful just the way you are, but you don't believe them because it's moms that say it. I don't believe her most of the time, but um, she's always kind of told me that everything happens for a reason and that I should be grateful that I'm unique and I'm not like every girl my age. Um, and there are some days now that I'm, happy to say I do think like that um but there are some days where I really don't and I think I just I just know and I'm hopeful for in the future I will view my body in a better way I I know that is that is coming and I do have the optimism but um right now still it, it is tricky to navigate because I don't feel like I'm everyone else my age uh, and it is hard and especially going through high school when I went back to school after the attack I felt like I wasn't understood by people my age, especially girls when we'd be going to parties and they'd talk about what dresses they wanted to wear and all whatever. And I just had to be at home looking through my wardrobe thinking what covered up everything the best. And that just made me even more self-conscious going to parties, knowing that I couldn't just wear a tight, skimpy dress like all my other friends my age. It felt horrible. It felt like I'd just been placed in this other world that nobody else could see how I was feeling uh, it was awful but luckily now that is different most of the time <laughs> wore a dress to a party the other night that was skimpy and perfectly great for my age and I felt normal it's just it depends on the day really but like I said hopefully in the future um I can accept myself a bit more and I am I'm grateful for the way that my body has healed oh gosh like I've got goosebumps when you're saying that because I I just want to promise and assure you that like I don't have scars but I I I I can tell you from experience of like body changing and and feeling as though like you're going through all these different things like I promise you as you get older it gets better and what you reference is an age where 
and I remember it so vividly you are so desperate to fit in you want to be as normal as normal can be and like you know I remember being at school and just thinking I need to be exactly the same as everyone else because then I'll exactly fit in and actually what I can promise you is and I found this massively is like I'm 30 now and as I've got older you actually realize that you really don't want to be like everyone else that actually like uniqueness is so special and I know that there's so much of me that I still have to work on and like you know I I do think that how we feel about our bodies is a lifelong journey and you know your scars tell a story and that story is very traumatic and and it's laden with grief and and so that is a whole nother layer that you're having to contend with and that must be really hard and I hope that you're getting sort of the right help to to navigate that but just from a more kind of generalized perspective I promise you it gets better. And like, you know, I'm sat here looking at you now and I'm like, you are absolutely beautiful and your makeup looks incredible. And and I just want you to know that like, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, like I can promise you that it, that it does get better. And I think that, you know, body issues and, and everything that you just referenced there, you know, s- some of that especially is so important just to talk about, even you just saying it out loud there. It's so important that we acknowledge, you know, that we go through these things because so many girls and women that I speak to, they keep all of that inside and they get later on in life and they suddenly go, oh my God, like I'm still dealing with this stuff. Whereas what I heard there was someone who was so capable of articulating what they were feeling and being able to just say that out loud is is huge. So credit where credit is due, like that is, you know, you're further along than I was for sure. And I can understand everything that you said, but I promise you it gets better. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice. Anyway, I think there's a, just a thing with um, like girlhood that I've appreciated a lot since going to uni. I've met like, I just think my friends for life and the closest girlfriends that I've ever had. And I think at first they've even opened up and told me that they felt a bit nervous to say that they were feeling self-conscious one day about their bodies because they don't want to compare it to what I've been through and whatever, but I let them know straight away that there's still insecurities that I feel too. Like, please don't ever, because I don't like being painted as like the victim or people are scared to say things. And luckily they opened up to me straight away. And it's just, I'm grateful I have that relationship with them because we can all just speak about when we're feeling down one day or really self-conscious and I have a really good relationship with my mom as well which I can say the same because she's also a woman that's been through life and knows the pressures from society and um how to look a certain way so I'm just I'm grateful that I have that network Absolutely. And honestly, like I met my best friends for life at uni. It was like I just stepped into this new world and I was like, oh, these are my people. This is who I've been missing out on. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, re- I'm really happy. Everyone's oh, like yeah. the same as me. Well, you yeah. and I have that in common. We both went to drama school. And if it's the same as what I remember, it is the funnest three years of my life. So I'm really happy that you're in that environment. We'll be back after this. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about navigating grief 
And obviously, I don't want to go into specifically, you know, talking about your friend, because I think that, you know, obviously, as we've mentioned, that's quite a painful topic, but just grief in general, and, and going through the process of that, I know that there are many people who listen to this podcast who've experienced grief in different ways. And grief is such a huge topic and something that is, you know, different for different people. But in your experience of navigating grief and, and dealing with that, how did you find yourself kind of evolving and healing to a certain extent? Obviously, what we know with grief is that it never really goes away, does it? It's always there, but life grows around it. And I love that analogy. But I guess, how did you find your life kind of growing around that grief part of you and, and, and still having it, but still being able to kind of, I guess, live more of your life and feel more like yourself than before? It was strange because when you're 14 years old, you're not supposed to lose any friends at that age like it's it's not it's not normal it's not the way that life works so it was a shock and I don't think I knew how to deal with it but luckily I had a whole community in my village that was also dealing with the exact same thing but it was hard and the fact that I had to go straight back into school and into classrooms where I used to be with her it was it was weird and I don't think I ever fully processed it until I left high school because when I'd see like an empty chair in the classroom next to me or I'd be on on the bus on the way to college and she wouldn't be sat there with me I just think I'd tell myself I've still got the same sort of mindset sometimes now and it feels like a child's mindset but then I think it's because time just stopped when I was 14 and it kind of my mind got trapped somewhere there but I always like say to myself that like or like Nell's on holiday. That's the thing that I think you used to like tell kids when you're younger, but in my head it's like, oh, like I have to see her again. She can't just be gone. I think it's because she was taken away so suddenly as well. I think when you have a form of grief where you're not expecting anything to happen, then it is weird. <sighs> I just think any time where I get upset about her and I have done and I have reminders, it's just not in the moment, in the moment I'm I'm very sad and just sit in the grief and cry about it. But afterwards, I think how lucky I was to have known her and to share part of my childhood with her and to keep taking her through everything I do in life. And I always will. Um, Loads of things remind me of her. I think I found it hardest, actually, not even them first few years after. It was more when I moved to London and moved to uni. It felt like that was a fresh start in my life and I was leaving all of this and all the trauma behind. But then I was thinking, how can I be moving on with my life without her there? And I think it's a thing with loads of people when they're grieving of life events are the hardest because, <laughs> you know, she should have been starting uni with me and she was very clever. She would have been at Oxford or Cambridge hundred percent. So it felt weird that, I couldn't just pick up the phone and, and message her or FaceTime her and ask how uni was going. It, it was really weird. And I still have, I have the same picture of the both of us that goes with me, like wherever I travel, always on my bedside table. So she's always there. But it it is weird because I think she should be living the same life as me right now. And I think my grief was always a bit hard to navigate because it was surrounded a lot by survivor's guilt which is a big thing a big thing and I didn't realize how big again until I moved to uni but I just like I said I'm I'm grateful to have those memories and I hope I continue a legacy but I know that when I do get sad about her that's a way of remembering her and I'm still talking about her and I'm still keeping the memory of her alive so as long as I keep doing that then yeah but it's hard birthdays as well because um 
in April it would have been her 21st so I think them sort of them sort of milestones are quite hard for me but I just make sure I do something on that day that she would have loved and surround myself with friends and know that my family are a text or a call away but it is hard but it changes every day so like you say it is weird because you know you grow around the grief and you learn to live with it but it does never go away and it comes to you in weird ways and I've I've certainly learned that. (laughs) I imagine that writing the book was quite a cathartic process for you and in I guess dealing with some of that grief and again like I said never never making it go away but just kind of building around it and and learning to understand it better and how to manage it talk to me about writing the book how did that first come about in 2018 I won an award at the NHS Heroes Awards and I won a young fundraiser award for raising money for the hospital and whilst I was there I met someone, I'm pretty sure she worked for the Mirror at the time, I met someone called Amisha Desai and I met her backstage when I was with Louis Tomlinson just casually Um, and she was lovely and did an interview with me and I was saying about one day writing it down on paper and writing it into a story and she offered to ghostwrite it with me and it just happened from there really. We just sat in my conservatory for hours and hours on end like a few days straight and she recorded everything we went from the start of my life to where I was at the time it was great and it took me back to places that I didn't want to go ever again but I said it to her put it in the book and left it there and kind of knew that I was done with that but then I got to go through every moment I ever shared with now which is great because one of my biggest fears now is I feel like I don't remember enough and I I don't remember it and it scares me but then all I need to do is open the book and go back to those chapters about her and it reminds me and I can think of us again. So I'm so glad I have that because it was literally a diary of my life that is a time that will always be painful to remember, but something that I'll always I'll always want and always have to refer back to. But that was at the time my main form of therapy because I just said it to someone who was a stranger but became a friend and writing it together was just a very special time in my life and it's something I'll always be grateful to have. Yeah and I imagine like it took so much courage probably to just you know even even using a ghostwriter to to be able to get those words out and talk through some of those times which I imagine you'd kind of like you know pushed far back in your memory um so I, I I really applaud you on that and I think that writing books can be quite a kind of release of of certain things and, and and you're right as soon as it's out and it's on the page it's done and it's down and it's there and you can always look back to it what do you find with the book kind of helped you the most in terms of bringing you maybe some closure did you feel like you know it, was it something that you were able to share with Nell's family as well was that something that you kind of went on to do and did it feel as though in, in writing that that gave you a kind of a chapter close on that period or has it been something that's kind of like been an evolving I guess thing for you you've just kind of continued to like use it as a reference point and 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 I guess like maybe pick it up when you need it like you said to have those memories I think it definitely was uh closure I think for my parents as well because my mom and dad both have a chapter in the book of their story of the actual night of the attack and I didn't I'm a person that likes to puzzle things together and I wasn't happy that I was in a coma for five days and couldn't remember what didn't know what was happening in the world around me so I needed 
my parents and my sister to tell me exactly what happened when and what we were doing at that point in hospital and how my healing was going and you know what life was like back home and what life was like before so actually writing it down just I can't even explain it it's like everything just came together in my head and the more I made sense of of it and talked about it it seemed like less of an alien thing and something it just it made it less hard to talk about um but I think it's crazy to me because that was when I was 15 and I'm now 21 and my life has changed so much since then that it's almost like if I ever have the opportunity to write again then I'll take it because I've learned so much since that like first year and a half because obviously the main story is that of what happened on the night and what Nell was like and everything but my life has evolved so much since then and although it's six and a half years on that in the actual time process and for me feels so early and still so fresh that I only feel settled into my life and settled with everything that's happened now and that's when I'm 21 so I think it will take time but 100% that was what I needed to do at the time and was my biggest form of closure yeah now talk to me about the future because I, I can't believe like you're you're still so young and you have so much ahead of you and and you're in a way like I so um, relate to your current journey of being at drama school and like all the excitement that that brings and moving to London for the first time and I just am interested to hear about where you see you know your kind of life going and whether weaving some of that healing journey and and maybe the writing and maybe the fundraising does that feature in part of what you kind of aspire to do you know moving forwards 100% so obviously I've always since I was younger wanted to be an actor but I think leading up before the attack I didn't think it was a realistic goal and my parents were supportive of whatever I wanted to do but they were also kind of saying to me that you know that was a that was a hobby and you could do whatever you want to but you know maybe have a backup option or be safe but then after the attack happened they kind of said well you know what you've only got one life so you need to live it and I think having a backup option then would have made me strive for it less and so I just when well I've just got to go to drama school just got to <laughs> become an actor then somehow it is scary it's terrifying we get told on the daily how hard this career is and how uncertain it is and not unstable but there was nothing else that I ever wanted to do and I think thinking about Nell as well with that when I always say that I was living life for the both of us I was thinking you know imagine if she was still here now today and I told her that I just kind of settled for doing an office job because that was what was most sensible and whatever she 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 knew how much I love acting um, and she did too and it just it feels like I have to now just for the both of us I have to try and do it <laughs> at least try my hardest but I'd always wanted to live in London that was like that was a dream um, but I never thought it was possible and then all of a sudden I was there and I was at drama school and I was doing an acting course and it's had its ups and downs. It has been tricky navigating life because like I said, I think I was excited to have a whole fresh start where I wasn't who I was at home, which was everyone knows me in this community and knows me as Freya, but they know me as Freya, that girl that was in the Manchester Arena attack. When I went to London, I spent like Well, it actually took a few days before I told people and then everyone now does know, but I feel like a 
the best version of myself there and that I was able to have a fresh start and I never thought I could again but I do feel like this label is still attached to me and in my head you know I feel my body or if something like my back's a bit painful one day then I am reminded that this is who I am you'll always be evicting or whatever but then the second I'm in class and we're all acting and I get to play someone else and I'm in my element it's like oh I can actually start living life now and I've not let it define me or my mum always says that to not let it define me but to shape the way that I live and that's so true because it's made me a more grateful person a more loving person um I just try to live life to the fullest and I'm proud of myself when I have bad days as well as good because I know that they're normal but yeah I, th- I think now my my outlook on life is a lot better than it ever was because I had to grow up overnight when I was 14 you're not really well you're grateful for some things when you're 14 but you don't think that that could be it tomorrow but I still have that in the back of my mind of you never know what could happen so I you know tell my family and my friends that I love them every day and make sure of it um even when we're arguing I'll just always make sure to shove that in because uh, I know how much life can change um but I'm I'm very grateful for the the person it made me and hopefully who I will become and go on to doing a career that I love and hopefully make a living off of it we'll we'll see but just as long as I'm doing something I'm passionate about have the faith honestly have the faith I remember starting my first year of dance college and I literally was like I'm never gonna work it ever like I'm awful I'm terrible and by third year I was the first person I needed to get a job and you know like everything could change just have faith and yeah you'll you'll get there and and also it's the hardest but the best industry ever you like you've just got to enjoy and soak up all the moments that you have um you know doing what you love and that's the thing I always remind myself of as well like I was so lucky to like know what I wanted to do and know that I loved it so much and I think there are so many people who go through life like not really finding their passion or their or their something that they really love and I just think it's you know you're so lucky that you that you knew exactly what you wanted to do and that you're and that you're living that dream so yeah it's amazing and and well done you because I know that it's not easy to get into drama school so just one thing that I finally just came up for me when you were saying that I I was thinking about how it was really brave that you've moved to London and and I guess just to explain that I mean that you know as you said anything can happen at any time right and we live in a world that is increasingly I hate to use the words but kind of unsafe you know there there's there's moments where I felt unsafe in London and as much as I love living here and I love the city, I also know that it's probably a bit of a hotspot for for things going on. And I'm interested by your decision to to kind of be as brave as you have been to just be like, right, I want to live in London. And I'd love you to talk me through that because I just think that some some people could probably want to run away and live in the countryside in a t- you know in the middle of nowhere. And actually, you've almost done the opposite. So I'd love you to talk me through that decision. My my dad actually said to me once we went to London for my sister my sister's. 18th birthday so this was like a year after the attack and we were hopping on and off tubes we went to I think we went to the Jingle Bell Ball so that's why obviously a concert that's where we were there for my sister's 18th and on the way back to the hotel as we were getting off the tube my dad said to me like does it feel scary being on the tube or does it worry you because you've seemed to just do it and we're a bit me and your mum are a bit worried that it's so easy for you like are you okay and I, I think the thing I said to him, which he always quotes back to me was, well, dad, I was pretty unlucky to be in the attack in the first place. I think 
to have it happen again, that's not really realistic, is it? Like, I've got it over and done with. It's fine. Anyone that associates with me, I've protected you because I've gone through the worst thing possible. So it can't happen again. Um, and he was like, oh, right, okay. Um, but it was it was scary, and especially I come from a tiny village in Cheshire where I'm just surrounded by fields and cows and everyone that I know. So like when you just pop to your local shop, you know everyone there. Um, so it was so weird being placed in the middle of London where everything's going on at once and it's overwhelming and it's loud and you don't know anyone, but it just felt, it just felt right. And I have had moments where it has been scary. I think especially as a young female in London, like you'll relate, it can be terrifying um and can feel unsafe and you see all these articles about everything and that I do have thoughts when I'm sat on the tube like you said a hot spot I'm like if anything was to happen surely it'll happen again in London but then I kind of take myself back and think well if it happened in Ariana Grande concert in Manchester then you know I can't base my logic on that and I do like I said I do get scared especially when um I've like worked over this past summer and I, so I used to work um, front of house at a theatre on the West End. So I used to come home really late at night by myself on the tube, walking back to my flat and it has been scary and I'm quite a paranoid person anyway, especially any, it's a stereotype, but any like male that approaches me or is walking near me get terrified. Um, But I always have my location on with my friends. (laughs) They always know. And I just kind of think that wherever I go in life, I I might feel a bit unsafe in some ways, but I focus on the fact that, like you said, London is just the best place ever and it makes me feel so alive and the best version of me and I I don't want to live anywhere else ever again. So I think that whole thing of coming back to not letting it affect my life and to not live in fear and hate, I didn't want something that some somebody decided to do affect the way that I live and if my dream was to live in London then that's where I'm supposed to be and even though it can be scary sometimes I just remind myself of that and think how lucky I am to be living there and to live the life that I always dreamed of but just to know that it is okay to feel a bit scared sometimes and I have that network there for me to refer back to but I'd never change it. I love that answer. And you're so right. You've got to take the positives, but also you've got to know that you are (laughs) sharing that location with your friends and you're going home late at night, please. (laughs) Now look, Freya, we look forward to Christmas. It is in just a few days time now. So tell me how you're spending this Christmas. I mean, I can see as I look at you, although I can see, although the listeners can't see this, but you are sat with a huge Christmas tree behind you. (laughs) So tell me what you're most looking forward to this Christmas. What are your plans? Uh, it's very family central. I've been all of, I've been having a crazy schedule in London these past couple of weeks, really busy with uni and doing everything in London that was Christmas related possible with my friends. Like we've crammed everything you could think of in like every single, we did every London market in one day. That was like eight different. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. We went to Toby Carvery. We like essentials. Yeah, we did absolutely everything. So I'm a little bit exhausted, actually. So I'm just looking forward to um, a relaxed Christmas. And it's very, we have a very, very small family. There's, there'll be six of us on Christmas Day. And just looking forward to just 
sat down with the dog with my parents watching rubbish tv and just kind of forgetting about life for a bit recently you know just stop thinking about stressing about uni (laughs) and just relax and be with the people that I love well that sounds amazing and I wish you the best Christmas I also wish all our listeners the most wonderful Christmas and New Year Freya thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable and open with your story today it is one that has you know since reading about you and also reading the book you know has inspired me massively and I hope that you continue to do amazing work continue to do all your fundraising because I know that that's invaluable as well and also that I see you on the West End stage at some point in the future (laughs) I look forward to it i'll be there front row (laughs) thank you so much thanks freya thank you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it this is our last episode for 2023 what a year it's been thank you so much for all your support with give me strength we will be back in the new year with a brand new episode and also a brand new ask alice so please do send in your questions the email is in the show notes and we look forward to seeing you in 2024 Insanity Group.